Have you ever wondered how many balloons it actually takes to lift a human being like in the cartoons? My guest today may actually answer that question here on YPO 10-Minute Tips from the Top. I'm Kevin Dom, and each week I bring you insights from the world's top executives of YPO, all made possible with grants from Gazelle's Growth Institute, www.growthinstitute.com. YPO member Nico Wyrobic was born into the balloon business. Her parents founded Anagram, the Mylar Balloon Company. After graduating from Middlebury College, she earned an MPP and JD from the University of Minnesota. She worked as an attorney for several years and earned an MBA from Stanford. Nico was then invited to take over as CEO of the new family business, North Star Balloons. Nico used unique designs and non-traditional distribution channels to grow the company to more than 100 employees with placement in a number of big box chains. Recently, Nico sold the balloon business and transitioned her plant to printing for plastics and packaging. As principal of Morris Packaging Minnesota, Nico now oversees more than 100 employees and has consistently doubled year-over-year growth projections. Nico, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Did you always grow up expecting you would go into the business? So yes and no. So I had the privilege of being in a family legacy business that was also a startup. So my mom and dad got divorced when we were in high school, and my dad sold the business just as we were starting college. And he stayed in the business for a few years and then kind of as all founders and former owners went by the wayside and moved on to do some other things. And my sister and I had grown up in that business. I don't know that either of us ever thought about going into it specifically. I think in high school, we both wanted to be doctors, but we obviously got out of that business when dad sold it. I went to law school and Nina went to vet school and we were pursuing our own careers and all of the not so secret non-competes ran for the business and a former competitor called my dad back in probably 2006 and said, hey, you're free. Do you want to get back in the business? Why don't you build a new generation of manufacturing equipment? We'll do all of the upfront work. We'll do all the sales and distribution on the back end. You just make stuff, split it down the middle. It'll be great. And we sat down as a family at that point and dad sort of said, look, that's interesting, but I'm not really going to build a business and sell it again or when are you going to do it? And everybody looked at me. And <laughs> What kind of law were you doing at the time? I was working for an energy development company in-house. I did a lot of you know corporate law, but also a lot of legislative work. So I spent a lot of time at our capital. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And I had a wonderful boss who I talked to and said, we're getting into this family deal. Can I have a day out of the office to help? And he said, that's fine. But if there's ever a conflict, mine wins. And mercifully, we only had that happen one time. And so we started this new business and slowly tried to make that partnership work. And after a couple of years, realized that it was not going to come to fruition. Mercifully, didn't have any contractual obligations to stay in the partnership. And we said, well, we've now got a factory that has a bunch of really expensive equipment in it. And we need to do something with it. (laughs) Some product so we can either quit now and your first loss is your best loss, or we could spend some time and turn it around. And so we decided we'll double up and we built the front end and brought in a design team and product development group and created a whole new catalog of goods. Were you not going head to head against the business that you had already built? We absolutely were. And one day when I've got three years and $3 million to fight an antitrust lawsuit, I'd love to go head to head with them. We thought it would be dirty, but they got really dirty and basically blocked us out of every avenue that we could have gone into in the US. And it was, you know, sort of the hey, customer, you can buy from anybody you want to, but it better not be the Kivases. 
And as the big guy in the room, that held a lot of weight. So we were essentially blocked out of traditional balloon distribution channels, which is an archaic scheme anyway. So we as manufacturers would sell to large distributors who would sell on to wholesalers and on to retailers and almost never touch the end user. And we, after a couple of years, said, look, that's been really effectively blocked by our former business. So we said, fine, you know, we'll learn how to do logistics. Everybody else has figured out it can't be that hard. And so we built a business going direct. And it worked really well. Now, direct all the way to the consumer, or were you going to the flower shops? We and never the... went to the consumer. So we'd go to small party shops, but really where we tried to play was we're doing a bunch of business with folks like Target, Hobby Lobby, Big Box, trying to just get... Places that maybe weren't even carrying them before or thinking of them as a regular Yeah, item. and that's one of the other things that we did too, is we said, look, if we can't have the traditional party business, that's fine. We came into this saying, let's not be like everybody else because everybody has a bunch of round balloons that you see at the grocery store that say happy birthday on them. We need to be different. It's a mature market. Stealing business is going to be really hard. And so we made things that other people couldn't make and said to an audience that had never had balloons, guess what? They're cool. You should probably have them. And so our products were really geared to and marketed towards 20-somethings who wanted to hang a script up in their window that says party or love you know, so we went after people who didn't buy balloons previously and products that weren't available in the market through other distributors or that were available but were really bad products in terms of quality. And that bought us a really nice market. And so it all came full circle. And actually last year we just did a transaction and the brand was acquired. And so now I have a factory that does something totally different. And that's been a really nice transformation. So now you're doing packaging and printing. Yep. This obviously has much more expansion opportunities. Yeah. You know, the balloon market is a mature market. And packaging, there are more things that are put into plastic every year. There are more people using all things. I don't need to steal somebody's business, although we've been quite successful at doing that. All I really need to do is take a little piece of the growth. And it's growing at such a clip that it's just a really interesting and lucrative business to be in right now. And your core competency is the actual printing onto plastics? Yeah. And then we actually make bags as well. So we have a business down in Jefferson City that takes the rolls that we have printed here and converts them into bags, which will then be filled at somebody else's plant. So how big is the company? Where are you going? So the company now is probably 80 people in our plant here in Plymouth, probably another 60 down in Jefferson City. And then we've got a team of about a dozen sales guys who are out on the road all the time and beating down doors. And the company's been on a real nice double, double, double projection here. And I think my business partner and I would probably look to say one more double will be easy. The next double will be really hard. <laughs> and when do you slow it down? You're almost at a couple hundred people now, which big difference between running the 80-person company and the 200-person company. You know, especially in today's economy, you got to go find them to start with. You got to keep them. But yeah, it's just, it's a different hierarchy. It's a different infrastructure that you need internally. And, you know, I've been on the slow How did you end. manage putting those systems in place? I am mercifully really good at hiring smart people. <laughs> I'm the epitome of not the smartest guy at the table. And I have a couple of really good folks who have been able to come join us who have had experience in going through that kind of growth and can lend that to the process. Was that a natural state for you or did you have to learn how to be that way? I think it was a natural state for me. I think that I recognized early on that my strength is in relationships, making sure that my team is happy. 
and figuring out how to move the pieces to execute the goal. So I played hockey, I coach hockey. And for me, I was never going to be the All-American, but I, I knew what role I could fill. I knew how to be a passer. I was a playmaker. I wasn't a goal scorer. And that's actually what I love doing. So it, it works out well. I am never going to be the All-Star at something, but I'm pretty good at finding the All-Star at everything. And then the other important question that I have, because I think we've all kind of wondered about this, how many balloons do you have to hold before it will pick up a grown man? Turns out we're still waiting for the answer to that question. No kidding. Uh, Not enough lift in helium. It's not like up. (laughs) (laughs) The kids keep wanting to try, but they haven't cracked that. They haven't cracked the code yet. Fair enough. Okay, Nico, it's time for the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite question to ask when you meet someone new? I just discovered my new favorite question, which is what makes you happy? Name three of your personal core values. Family first, commitment, and competency. Who has had the greatest impact on you as a leader? My mentor, Mark Cohn. He's now retired living in Belize, and he sits on a few boards. He comes back a well, couple a times mentor. a year. And <laughs> I know. I, I am aiming to follow that path. It's not a bad life. <laughs> what was his business? If you remember long ago, there's a catalog company called Daymark. Sure. That was his business. Oh, Mark he is Cohn the of Daymark. Mark of Daymark. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, How did you find him? My longtime lawyer knew him, and when I was looking to put a board together when I joined the family business, he said, you must talk to Mark. And so we got connected, and Mark has been a mentor and a friend ever since. Fantastic. What is your favorite business book? I like The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a book on the psychology of parenting, and I listen to a lot of books on tape, but I tend to listen to murder mysteries. What is the one leadership trait that brings success? For me, it's not delegating, but actually empowering my team. What is the one leadership trait that kills success? Not trusting the people to do their jobs. Name one daily behavior that will help a leader grow. Find time for gratitude. Name one trait that makes an employee valuable. A desire to be successful. What's your strangest daily habit? It's not strange, but I say the same thing to each of my kids every night when I put them to bed. Is something you can share? Sure. I tell my oldest son that I love him more than the whole wide world. I tell my middle son that I love him more than anything. And I tell my baby girl that I love her more than words. That's very nice. What's the best way to show employees appreciation? By actually letting them do their jobs and not getting in the way and doing it for them. Well, I certainly appreciate you being here on the show today. Thank you so much, Nico. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks to Gazelle's Growth Institute for underwriting this program. Learn more at growthinstitute.com. I'm Kevin Dom, and you're listening to YPO 10-Minute Tips from the Top. To learn more about YPO, please visit ypo.org.